This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Kei te whakaronga mai koe ki tō tātou au horihori, hei hōtaka e pāna ki te pūtaio, te taio, me te kaupapa o te ora. I'm Alison Balance and this is Summer Science with Our Changing World. Now it's time for another brand new podcast from the Centre for Science Communication at the University of Otago. This podcast is about fresh water but not just any old fresh water. Te Waikoru Pupu Springs Reserve in Golden Bay, along with Nelson Lake's National Park's Blue Lake, boast the clearest water, not just in the country, but in the world. Pupu Springs are the largest springs in New Zealand, and they're fed by groundwater from massive aquifers. They're a great tourist attraction, but like all of New Zealand's freshwater systems, they are under pressure. There's demand for spring water for bottling, as well as the local salmon farm, and Golden Bay as a whole is experiencing a rapidly growing demand for irrigation for farming. Science communication student Lucy Coyle investigates the biological and cultural values of the springs. Hey, this is Lucy, and I'm about to address a current situation at the Te Waikorupupu Springs. Te Waikorupupu Springs are located in Golden Bay and are known for having some of the clearest waters in the world. Locals of this area are expressing concern for the well-being of these springs due to a new irrigation scheme being put into place. There's also talk of a company getting consent to sell bottled water from this spring. I'm lucky enough to be speaking to Professor Jerry Kloss about the matter. Jerry is currently the head of the zoology department at Otago University and he specialises in freshwater systems. So the Tasman District Council have proposed to increase the current water allocations to a further 356 litres per second on top of the current 500 litre per second limit of water that's already been taken. So what are the main implications of this? So as soon as you start to bore down into the aquifer, you run the risk of starting to drop the water level in the system. On top of that, you then start to get potential problems with lack of dilution. It's already one of the the cleanest and purest sources of water in the country, so it's got a very unusual level of clarity. So it's significant in ways other than just simply supply of water. So it's a marvellous place. Um, And I I would think proposing extra abstraction is going to put that at risk. Um, It's often hard to quantify that risk, but you start to ask the question, should there be any risk um, imposed on that system. And if the benefits accruing from that risk are actually fairly minimal, local benefits, you ask the question, why would you do it? The aquifer organisms, Stygofauna, are responsible for keeping the water clean. So how do they do that? The Stygofauna and those sort of springs, where you've got those deep waters percolating through, it falls into the unknown category. It's down there, it's important. We know very little about it. We know very little about the taxonomy about it. 
it's hard to study. That said, we haven't put much effort into studying it. You know, if you went down there looking for it, you would find some pretty weird and wonderful creatures that no one has really ever looked at before, quite possibly some of which will be unique to that spring. It's a pretty fascinating fauna. It's just that we know nothing about it. <laughs> so if you changed one thing in the ecosystem, it would sort of potential to collapse? or A lot of those sorts of faunas are often very finely attuned to the environment in which they find themselves. And one of the characteristics of a lot of those groundwater environments is they don't vary much. Um, they're very constant. They're always at a constant temperature, a constant dissolved oxygen, constant everything. Um, underground, underground environments don't vary much, so of course the fauna that lives within them becomes adapted to that constancy. If you change it, they can't cope. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, they're not typically a, a fauna which adapts or adjusts well to changes in that environment. They tend to do pretty poorly. The farmers have copped a lot of stick over the increase in irrigation of these springs. Do you think the increase of dairy agriculture is to blame here? I think you, you, you start to change the question. You ask the question... One of the things I, I don't think we do with a lot of fresh water is what I would call full, full, a full economic environmental stock take. How much is the spring worth total? Um, you know, how much does it generate in terms of producing clean water downstream? How much does it generate in terms of tourism? How much does it generate in terms of recreation? You then ask the question, well, what is a small farm upstream of that spring worth? How much does that generate? And I think when you look at a lot of the equations, when you actually ask that question and say, well, how much is the water that's coming out of this system worth? And if we, we degraded it, how much would it cost to treat? What could we not use it for? How much is the tourism that this area is generating worth? How much is all that worth? And then if you actually factor that into the, the small dairy farm that might be operating upstream and how much that produces and how much that's worth, when you do the sums in many cases, the sums wouldn't stack up. You'd say, well, no, this doesn't make sense. The, the risk that we're generating by turning this into a dairy farm, we, we, we run the, the, the potential cost is the loss of all that, and all that is worth far more than what the dairy farm could generate. So what do you think the fate of the salmon farm downstream of the spring would be with this increased irrigation? Salmon farms are very obviously require very high water quality. Um, they are particularly sensitive to high nitrate levels. They are particularly sensitive to reductions in the flow of water through them. You've got the added problem that if you're taking water out from the system upstream, salmon farms produce huge amounts of nitrogen. Um, you know, the output of ammonia and the output of nitrates from salmon farms is huge. So again, if you've got reduced water now flowing through that salmon farm, the dilution on the salmon farm itself is going to be degraded. So not only have you now got the, the nutrients which are potentially coming from upstream, you've actually now got a salmon farm which is actually having a more severe effect on what's going on downstream. So yeah, my guess is that the salmon farm probably wouldn't be too happy about it. Waikoro pūpū, waikoro pūpū, pūpū wake te whenua, pūpū wake ko ngā waiora waikoro pūpū, ngā puna wai o tākaka, Ngā puna roimata wairua, waikoro pūpū, waikoro pūpū. So here I'm with Saltese Morrison, who's just come out of a research project with Cyan. Could you just tell me a little bit about that research? 
Yep, so I worked on a research project with Scion and it was called Weaving the Korowai of Papatuanuku Adaptive Governance and Environmental Decision Making. And it looked at the Waiapu catchment, which is a rapidly eroding river in um, the Ngāti Paro area, and I worked alongside Ngāti Paro in coming up with environmental decisions and with the Crown and so political pretty, parties. So that's pretty similar to what's going on in the Te Waikurupupu catchment at the moment? Yes. Uh, so why specifically are water systems so important to Māori people? Well, figuratively speaking, Papatuanuku, or Mother Earth, uh, emerged from waters bringing life to this world. So in the Māori realm, humans are born from the womb of Papatuanuku, so essentially the well-beings of humans and, their, and life on Earth depends on the well-being of our whenua and our moana. So we must respect Papatuanuku and the life she gave us. So it's important to keep our water systems, our land and our environment in the best condition possible. So... Essentially, do you think that the irrigation and the selling this water is in a way selling the spirit of the people? Yes, so the water has great spiritual significance to Māori people. A lot of mihi refer back to their river, to to the ocean, to the land in which they came from because it is essentially what brought them life, what gave them life. And if you're going to be irrigating a stream that's of great cultural significance, it's essentially taking away that modi, that spirit, from ancestral myths, legends that are slowly dying today. So what is modi? What is the meaning behind modi? Modi is spirit. So when I say remove the modi from the waters, by irrigating you're going to be removing all the spiritual connection and all the powerful Māori connections with the water. What is the significance of there being a Tanifa in Te Waikurupupu Springs? Well, Tanifa is seen as a guardian, a guardian of the waters and a guardian of the local people. And this is significant because if you're going to be irrigating the waters in which the Tanifa is resting, you're going to be disturbing the Tanifa or disturbing the spirit in the area. Do you think it's deceitful of the council to consider this proposal although waters are considered as wahitapu? Well, I think if they were to speak to the locals of the area, they were truly opposed to what's been put in place. And it'd be interesting to know whether or not that was discussed with the local iwi or with the local hapu in the area, just because of the cultural significance of the, of the spring. Is there anything that locals can do to support the iwi down there in their quest to protect the guardianship of Te Waikurupupu? It's a bit hard in Western society trying to balance Māori values with political values and trying to sustain society where everybody's happy. So obviously, politically, they want to irrigate the waters or the council wants to use it for other beneficial purposes, not bearing in mind the cultural significance of the waters to Māori people in the area. To support the iwi... Um, probably just making it aware, like a public knowledge, more Māori speaking out about how important the, the spring is to them, the waters are to them, and also just understanding. I think if the council was to have a better understanding, or even a representative, a Māori representative on the council who is able to speak on behalf of the local hapu and iwi in the area, I think it would be beneficial in helping to sustain those waters. Do you think that 
there is European cultural significance in the spring as well, intertwined with Māori. Yeah, most definitely. There probably is a lot of European cultural significance. I think it was blessings, christenings would have happened in the water, and I would imagine that wasn't just Māori, um, just because it is a natural spring. So yeah, definitely. It's just sustaining our own waters, not only just because of the Māori significance of the waters, just for us, New Zealand as a people. So as you can see, there are a lot of issues surrounding the irrigation of Te Waikorupupu Springs. Hopefully the council can work together with the local iwi, farmers and freshwater scientists to come to an agreement that doesn't jeopardise such a natural wonder some are so lucky to have in their backyard. Thanks for joining me on this podcast of Te Waikorupupu Springs and thanks to Saltis Morrison and Jerry Kloss for your knowledge and opinions. Thanks Lucy. Lucy Coyle is a student in the Centre for Science Communication at the University of Otago. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast. Check out our webpage for photos and web features. rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Kia ora mai, 